And we're live. And we are live. Hello, hello, hello. This is another edition of Cocktail Cult. Uh, I'm your host, Jonas Cope, the hostess with the mostest. Today, we are going to do a little tasting of Oban, 14-year. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, Western Highland single malt scotch uh, from Scotland. Uh, but we're going to go uh, and talk to Stuart a little bit about uh, some of his uh, worldwide adventures. He's done some crazy shit, so we wanted to share that with you Uh get you out of the quarantine my mindset and get you some uh, little uh, worldly adventure and worldly knowledge here. So, uh, Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Stuart's been on a couple of editions with us, uh, doing some tastings and such. He's back in the Bay in quarantine land. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on in the Bay Area? Well, you know, uh, since lockdown, not a whole lot has been happening, not in the city. You know, all the bars and restaurants have been closed. San Francisco was one of the first first places in the U.S. to lock down before we had a lot of cases. So um, I think we were actually able to avoid like a bad outbreak here. So there hasn't been a lot of cases here, but everything's really shit's just super quiet. So I've been just trying to get outside and camp as much as possible. Almost every weekend I've been in nice. the mountains camping. And that's just been my my best way of coping uh, I refer to it as extreme social distancing. <laughs> well, it's nothing like getting up in the mountains and trying to, you know, kind of losing yourself in, in the surroundings and forgetting that, you know, everyone is uh, stuck at home in their, you know, uh, 400 to 800 square foot cubicles, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah, it's been um, it's been the best thing for my mental health. You know, I, being out there, I kind of forget that the world's ending for uh you know a few hours or a few days <laughs> yeah for sure um so yeah it's it's been uh i, I highly recommend it if, if you can get out just go get some sun get some nature time I, I guarantee you'll feel better no matter what it's funny because it's uh it's the exact opposite of you know how you've lived a, a large portion of your life uh Stuart and i we've we've known each other for i don't know 15 years or so and uh he's always been an adventurer we've done a lot of uh snowboarding and and uh you know, just uh, some crazy trips together. Um, but one that, you know, you've taken on uh, with uh, one of your other homies there, Sebastian, is uh, you guys, uh, for the, the, the listeners at home, uh, you guys uh, did this thing called Ride North that got uh, some, some good publicity. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how that got conceptualized and what you guys did and where you went and how long did it take? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fun story. <laughs> it's probably the highlight of my life so far. <laughs> um, so this was like in uh, uh, 2014, I think is when we set out. Um, I originally thought of doing this trip because I was heartbroken and I just wanted to like see the world and not, you know, think about a job or, you know, any responsibilities. And my original plan was to go to South America, but, um, I got in a motorcycle accident like three months before I was planning to leave and it wasn't catastrophic, but I did get injured. So I, you know, it sent me back a couple months. And, um, so I kind of revised my plan and I realized I would be more or less ready to go at the beginning of summer. So I was like, you know, this is a good opportunity to go North because the season is right. So well, maybe yeah, otherwise you'd be driving down the equator in the dead of summer. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's, the way the seasons work along the equator, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but, um, uh, you know, you can't really go to Alaska in the winter. You can, but it's not, 
it's not going to be fun, especially not on a motorcycle. So no, um, you want to be doing that on a, with a snowboard and in a helicopter. Right. Exactly. Um, so when I was coming up with this, with this plan uh, to go to Alaska, I, uh, I was bartending at a place in San Francisco called Dr. Teeth in the electric mayhem. It's named wow. after the, yeah, it's named after the band from the Muppets. It's, it's, um, nice, nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a unique place. If you ever get the chance to go check it out, just know it's a cultural experience. Um, I, but do they have <laughs> Muppet themed like stuff in the, in the bar? A little bit. I think they had to change the name to just teeth because they got a cease and desist order or something like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. um, it's a, it's an interesting spot, but it's been years. I think it's changed a little bit since then. Anyway, I was, uh, you know, I was just working every shift I could get to save up money for this trip. And I was working brunch shifts at this bar, which they had bottomless mimosas. So it was actually kind of busy. Um, but this younger guy would always come to the bar and he kind of acted like an old guy. He would like kind of get drunk in the middle of the day and leave by himself. I'm like, this is weird. This dude's like in his twenties. What, what's going on? Um, but he would always come in with this, with this cool looking camera. And we started geeking out about cameras and we kind of became friends and um, nice. Yeah. And uh, he, it turned out that he was pretty heartbroken too. He had just gone through a divorce. He got married young, went through a divorce and uh, we kind of bonded over like our heartbreak and over cameras. And I remember like, it was like the third or the fourth time I was hanging out with him. But uh, I was at his apartment and we were like, we had gotten drunk on some whiskey uh, as you do. And I was, and I, I had asked Especially a couple heartbroken. Of... You, you want to, you're going to get drunk on the whiskey too. Right. Exactly. We were, you know, we were drinking our uh, sorrows away. But um, I, before, before I asked him, I had asked a couple of other friends, like, you know, this would be a really fun trip to share with a friend, but you know, everyone's like, Oh, I got to work. I can't take off that long, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Sebastian was just at like a perfect point in his life. And I was like, what do you think about doing something crazy like this? And he's, he looks at me and he's like, wait, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, man. I mean, if you, if you want to go, let's do it. And he's like, I don't know how, but we're going to figure out how to do it. I was like, okay, cool. And he made it happen. So, um, Fast forward like six months where we hop on our bikes. I think we left like the first day of summer. We left like June 21st, I think. How long and... was it before you guys left when you conceptualized the actual plan to ride to the northernmost point in Alaska? Um, or did you guys just wing it? I mean, <laughs> something like that. You're winging part of it no matter what. But yeah. we had like, we had like, I think it was about four and a half, five months to plan. I think we decided in February, maybe early March. Like I, we both kind of knew we wanted to do a trip, but it wasn't until then that we decided that's what we we're going to do. So, um, you know, we, we came up with like a general route. Once you get pretty far north, there's not that many roads that you can take to get there. <laughs> so it's not like you have a ton of options, but, um, it, one of the first things I realized that was really interesting was that every day we would drive maybe a hundred miles, 200 miles maximum North. Like we would gain 200 miles of latitude at the most, but the days would get longer every day that every day that we went farther North, just because we were that farther up in latitude. Yeah. 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 And, and being able to, being able to recognize that day to day was really interesting. Um, yeah, we uh, we went up the coast of California. We went along the one and then kind of zigzagged through Oregon. Um, overall, the trip took us three months. We came back. We actually came back separately. He had to get back a little bit earlier than I did. 
but you um, guys did uh, reach the northernmost point in Alaska, correct? Yeah, we reached. Let's see, we got there. I think it was like July twenty eighth. I want to say so. It took us. It took us about a month, but we weren't going super fast. You know, like we were trying to have an adventure. So well, yeah, we would two, do a couple. Two photographers, you know, documenting their way to the northernmost point in Alaska. I mean, I, I imagine you were stopping to take in some sites and some shoot some photos. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, meet people and, you yeah. know, go, go on wild goose chases, whatever it was. So, um, so yeah, one of the, actually one of the, one of the first milestones was when we got into Canada, of course. Um, Portland was amazing. We actually stayed in Portland for like four days. Um, we stayed in Seattle for a couple of days and the weather was remarkably beautiful. I know I've been, to, I know for... I've been to Seattle like four times and I, it hasn't rained, uh, but maybe like one day out of the, the like three weeks I've spent there. Yeah. Right. It's like, uh, it's, it's kind of skewing your expectations of what Seattle really is. Exactly. <laughs> um, but when we got into Canada, we, we arrived in, in Vancouver on July 1st, which is, Canada Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's their Independence Day. Oh, yeah. For and sure, eh? Oh, yeah. Literally. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, don't eh? you know? <laughs> I'm all about but Canada Day. Literally, like, the entire country was drunk. Like, everybody was partying. It was it was ridiculous. That's we awesome. We, we, um, we were going to stay with some couch surfers because Sebastian had been hosting couch, hosting couch surfers for a little while, so he had, like, a, a good reputation. And uh, we call them when we get to their place, and they answer the phone. They're ba- they're just drunk, like everybody else. Like, oh, hey, we're uh, we're at Granville Island. Uh, you know, you can wait for us, or you can meet us here. And we're like, yeah, okay, okay. Well, we're gonna figure something else out. So we ended up going there, and um, we met. Like, she actually she was one of the less drunk people. There was this there was this girl that was really quite uh kind and, and interested in like she could tell we were on a on an adventure because we had all the shit on our bikes and she was like what are you guys doing where are we go where are you going we're like oh we're going to alaska and she's like cool how long are you in vancouver we're like we don't know we just got here huh. well it's my it's my birthday tomorrow on the beach if you want to come you can join us it was like cool she's like okay but it's a nude beach right next to the university is that okay and we're like we just look at each other like uh yeah that's that's great. We'll be there. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, usually nude beaches, like it sounds great and you get there as a bunch of old people, but it it's really a, was yeah, a bunch of old dudes, like, you know, with their, with their balls hanging down to their knees. Right. But this, this was an exception because it was right next to the university. I, I, you know, I'm sure some, it was July. So maybe, you know, it wasn't full, but there was, um, yeah, yeah. there was, there was a lot of young people on the beach. It was, it was pretty cool. Good scenery. Um, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey. <laughs> so, um, we spent a couple of days in Vancouver. Um, we like, we met her whole crew and they were super fun and they just like kind of took us in. Um, I realized it was probably towards the end of this trip. I realized that there's this phenomenon that like people seem to, their guards seem to go down when they see a motorcycle traveler. And I think it has something to do with the vulnerability. Like, oh, you know, I a hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, like everything I own is on this bike. And so it's just basically like here I am. This is like this is all I got. So well, I can't really Yeah, you're not I can't... you're not as threatening unless it, you're on a bike and maybe you've got like a, a fucking uh you know, a, a motorcycle club jacket on or you know, the Hells Angels or the Pagans or something, you know. Something right. or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, I've just got like, I think I had just this plain black leather jacket and, you know, my, oh, none of my gear matches. It just, you know, I looked like a motorcycle hobo basically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, but man, people like several times people would see us and be like, Oh, well, do you need a spot to stay? You know, I have a spare room or, you know, you, you can set up camp in our yard or whatever. It happened. It happened many times. I was really, I mean, it's like giving me a lot of faith in humanity, the number of people that have just like opened up their home to a stranger or a couple strangers. But um, after Vancouver was like the last, uh, I don't know, the last, I don't want to say the point of society, but you know, there's really not that much North of Vancouver. British Columbia is huge. Yeah. BC it's ginormous. Yeah. It's like, it's like four times the size of California. It's giant. Yeah. So, I mean, in a lot of that, province we just didn't really see anybody like we'd come into small towns and we'd get food but then we'd just like camp in the middle of nowhere we could literally just set up camp anywhere and nobody would care it's it's kind of amazing yeah and you know as we would go farther north the days would just get longer and longer until when we got up into yukon the it would never get completely dark like the sun would dip beneath the horizon in the north but it would be it would be it would look like dusk for like two hours and then the sun would come back up again. It was really, it was. Yeah, that's like the a... same thing that we had, you know, my wife and I, uh, when we were up in Denali, it was, you know, we're camping and it's two in the morning and it looks like it's four in the afternoon. And it's like, how do you go to sleep? You know, I mean, I had to just sedate myself with alcohol and, and you know, some medicinal herbs up there. You know, I mean, it was it was definitely slightly unsettling for someone that's never experienced that before. Yeah. And I honestly think that people that live there, uh, I don't know the actual statistic of like the incidence of alcoholism in Alaska, but it's gotta be high. People drink a lot up there. And I mean, maybe some of it has to do with the isolation, but I feel like just dealing with the really strange light cycles in the summer and the winter has got to have a, have a part in it. But in the summer, it's phenomenal. I mean, especially because we were riding, you know, we could ride, we would, we would wake up some mornings at like 10 AM, get on the road at noon, which is pretty late, but then we could ride until 11 PM or midnight. Yeah. That's and, crazy. Yeah. And get like 400 miles in, which, you know, in British Columbia, you're not, you know, you, you see a lot of the same thing in 400 miles. <laughs> yeah. It, so, if you look on a map, 400 miles doesn't get you very far. No, not up know, there. It doesn't it's even get just, you from town to town half the time. It's so big. It's, it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to fathom how much space is up there, but um, yeah, we made it all the way to dead horse, Alaska, which is on the Arctic ocean. And uh, it's like the farthest you can go in North America by road. And like the last 250 miles, it's just this dirt. It's a dirt road. In fact, I think they made a show about it. It's called, ice road truckers i think or something like that oh yeah there's definitely a show called ice road truckers i didn't know they went up to dead horse i I knew it was like crazy driving 18 wheelers like loaded with like timber and stuff on like super icy roads and like the shit that they gotta do to get the timber down is like ridiculous i I mean i've seen brief bits of a couple of episodes and you know it's 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 uh hella sketchy up there you know, when, when they're in, in winter mode. Yeah. And winter, I can't even imagine winter. It sounds, it does not sound fun, but in the summer it was just, you know, I wasn't ice 
anymore. It was just a dirt road, yeah. but there's still a lot of trucks. Um, Prudhoe Bay or Dead Horse, it, it's uh, it's just a an oil mine basically. Like the whole town that exists, it's just like a purely industrial town. There's only pickup trucks and giant machines and like temporary yeah. buildings made out of shipping containers and shit. It's really it's very strange, but um. You know, we were just trying to, like, make it to this milestone to say that we went this far north. But it's well within the Arctic Circle. And it it actually didn't get that cold until we were on the Arctic Ocean. And that's when it got pretty chilly. But once we were – when we started coming back, once we were, like, 30 miles away from the from the coast, it actually warms back up again. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, it sounds kind of surprising to a lot of people to learn that there's mosquitoes up there. But I have never – ever experienced anything like the swarms of mosquitoes that we experienced dude, in Alaska. Dude, I've been to Larange, uh, Lake Larange, which is about, oh, I don't know, 12 hours north of like the Montana border. So obviously not as far up as you guys got. But that's like, still pretty far. You could literally fucking like you'd get out of your car and have to run for shelter, run for the house because you were getting legitimately swarmed. Like you could have a fucking uh, a, a tennis racket and just be like like slaying like hundreds of mosquitoes, and they're like the size of the palm of your hand. It's ridiculous. Like I I never imagined it, and because you know my wife's family's from uh, you know uh, like Saskatoon, and they've we've got they've got lake houses up in Larange, and you know they're like oh the mosquitoes are you know they'll fly off with you and stuff, and I'm like oh, yeah whatever, and then no they're fucking serious. Like I, I, yeah. I never thought I could, I would experience something like that, but it was like kamikaze, like you getting out of your car, you had to like I, literally run in the house. Crazy. We, we would stop along the road to take photos. I mean, it's, it's beautiful up there. The landscape is, is almost alien and we would just leave all our gear on gloves and everything because it stopped being motorcycle gear and it was just mosquito protection. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you got to wear a fucking beekeeper suit. Yeah, yeah, we literally we had we got like net hats for when we were camping so that we could do anything because yeah. they're just they'll over they're over they'll overwhelm you. It's it's I I was surprised I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, Crazy, but yeah, we made it we made it all the way to the top and then back and overall it was like I think it was over five hundred over six hundred miles of dirt that we rode dirt road. And you guys were and on, then, on what like enduros. Yeah, well, I was on a KLR650, which is like a dual sport. Yeah. Um, Sebastian was on a Ducati GT, uh, GT1000, which is, it's like a classic looking sport bike. It's not the bike that you want to take up there. No, I He eventually not. actually, when we were in Fairbanks, he got some uh, like dirt tires put on it. And that helped a lot on the, on the uh, dirt road. Yeah. But I, I remember before, um, before we left, I was like, Sebastian, you really going to take that thing? He's like, yeah, I'll be fine. I was like, man, you just get a KLR. You're going to do more damage to your really nice Ducati than seriously than a KLR is worth. But he, that's that's what he wanted to do. And to this day, he's probably the only person that's ever managed to get a GT1000 to Prudhoe Bay. <laughs> I can't imagine any, anybody else being that crazy. I would I would guarantee it. So yeah, that that's uh, he's got a record for that in his name for sure but um awesome but yeah we we um we we slowly made our way back we kind of had to like the days were getting shorter at this point you know after the summer solstice like we were starting to lose light and uh <laughs> so it's like 
you know, the farther south we can go, the longer the days will get. So we're, we, we kind of started rushing. But then um, I I ended up staying in Skagway, Alaska for a couple weeks later than he did. He had to, he had to get back to his apartment and get back to work. And I was like, well, I'm going to stick it out for a little while. And I waited too long. And on the way back, I ended up riding through snow for like three days. Fuck. And it's not it's i had a heated vest but even then it's like it was enough to keep my core warm but yeah. then like my arms and my legs just got so cold and i was doing long days too because i was trying to get i was trying to like beat the winter and get south and um the first two days it was like there was snow on the ground and it was cold and there was snow in the air but it wasn't really sticking to the road so it didn't affect me too much but the last day i had to go through a couple hundred miles of like sl- slushy, like kind of mixed snow. And uh, I didn't really calculate the length of the days effectively. And the, like the last night of the snow, I remember I had like 60 miles left to go. And there was probably like six to eight inches of snow on the ground, which like on a motorcycle, you just don't, you just don't want to do. No, it's it's just, a, it was like a suicide. Disaster. Yeah. I just, I remember thinking to myself, like, God, if I survive this, it's going to be a good story. <laughs> and now you're sharing it so, with the listening public here. There's got to be, I mean, normally our listener base is around, around 50 to 80,000. So hopefully we'll, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll breach that. We'll get up into the hundreds of thousands of people that are going to listen to this podcast. Nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I can plug some, uh, some of the companies that made the gear if we're looking for sponsors, you know, Hey, uh, uh, by all means, by all means. Uh, so, well, speaking of so, companies, yeah. let's uh, let's shift a little bit, and we'll we'll let's talk about an adventure in a glass right now. Um, so Stu's in L.A. I mean, sorry, in uh, in in San Francisco, and I'm here in the uh, backwoods of New Jersey. Believe it or not, there are backwoods in New Jersey, uh, and I've got a bottle of Oban 14 sitting in front of me, and Stuart uh, is has the same. So we're gonna do a little uh, a little tasting, a little review. Um, give you some, uh, you know, tasting notes, tell you a little bit about the distillery. I've actually been to the distillery, uh, in Scotland. Um, it's a really, really awesome, cool little town of Oban. Um, the, the town is actually built around the distillery. The distillery was the, the second building built the uh, wharf and the uh, little, uh, shipping Harbor area. That was the first building built. So the whole town is built around, um, the distillery and they've never expanded. Um, they do, they do Rick house and, and age uh, outside of the town because they don't have room in the town and they can't expand. Uh, but they were founded in 1794. Uh, we're going to taste the 14 year. It's uh, 86 proof. So 43% a- ABV uh, slightly overproof. Um, the distillery is about 200 feet from the sea. So you get this wonderful, uh, you know, coastal kind of feel. And uh, it definitely relates uh, when you're sipping the whiskey. So I've got about two ounces poured um, neat. And then I'm going to add probably a bar spoon of cold filtered water. um, And we're just going to see how it goes. Stu, how are you going to drink it? Uh, I'm going to do the same. I like my whiskey with just a, a touch of water. It seems to really open up the flavor. I'm going to nose it first and then add a little water and then nose it again to see if I get anything different. So oh, that's a good strategy. 
It's pretty sweet on the nose. It's got some sweetness. Uh, it's definitely like rich, and you get a little bit of smoke. I get, I'm getting a little touch of like anise as well. A little briny kind of, you know, seaweed-ish kind of uh, like old old uh, boat ropes or something. You know that like smell when you're on like an old boat that's been just hanging out in the water a long time. Yeah. It's almost the the malt, the smell of the malt and like that old boat smell are almost the same. It's almost like they're combined. Oh yeah, yeah. So I just added about a bar spoonful of uh, cold water, lower the temperature just slightly, and uh, you know just try to open it up a bit. It seems to get a little bit more sweet on the nose with the water. I yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I'm getting a little bit of smoke and definitely some oak, obviously. You know, I mean, it sits in barrels for 14 years, so it better have a little oak. Mm-hmm. There's really not much peat on the nose, though. It's pretty mild. No, I'm, I'm just starting to get it now um, after, you know, swirling the gra- glass a little bit and uh, after the water. But I'm getting the peat, like, in the very, like, back of my nose, if that makes any kind of sense. I'm not getting it up front. I'm getting it, like, way in the back, like, where it almost hits the sinus cavity. Right, yeah. It's, like, in your brain. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite nice. I have a Glencairn glass, um, you know, just so it's, like, a, you know, fairly proper whiskey sipping glass. Um, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go here. Wet, wet right. I have not had anything to drink today, so this is my first dram of the day, um, which is abnormal. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm actually completely sober for this podcast, which again is very very abnormal uh, for my podcast. So here we go. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. That is delicious. It's like just the right amount of peat that you get this the nuances of smoke, but nothing overwhelming. It, the smoke builds on your palate, but you get this nice like cereally kind of like oak mixed with like a cereally kind of gristy malt, which I really like. It's got just a little bit of upfront sweetness and and a, a good a good bit of citrus. I'm not tasting any of the the anise that I smelled, which is interesting. How you know you're going to smell something that doesn't end up on your palate? Great viscosity on the tongue, a really nice nice mouthfeel. You get a little bit of cheekburn from the overproof, but not down the esophagus. I mean, they have not. Touch they of- have not done anything differently since their inception. So, those two brothers, the Stevenson brothers, started the distillery, um, and again, it was the second building uh, in Oban. And it's, I mean, it's like, like I said, two hundred feet from the water. Um, Oban is uh, Gaelic for Little Bay, and they kind of sit in a little bay that's kind of, uh, you know, there's a river that kind of comes. Well, I mean, it's a bay that opens up to the ocean, but there's a, a piece of land that's not visible, but it's kind of like down a little bit further down south, a little bit further of Oban. So it's not a huge, like wide open Bay, like the Puget sound or anything, you know, it's just a, a much smaller, um, hence the name little Bay. Um, 
Yeah, actually, on the label, it says uh, Little Bay of Caves. Yeah. Uh, they source their water from a lock that's only a few miles from the distillery. Obviously, they're not using seawater. Um, but it was a, just a really cool experience um, being in Oban. Um, it's been one of my favorite whiskeys for many, many years. And my wife and I, uh, we were in Scotland last year right around the same time. And uh, we did the Highlands. You know, we flew into uh, Edinburgh, uh, did the Highlands. You know, I went up to McAllen. Uh, doers, you know, a bunch of the glens. Uh, we had a great time up there, stayed at a, a B&B. Um, you know, amazing experience. The Highlands are so beautiful. You know, it's indescribable. It's like being on a different planet. Uh, we drove up uh, almost into Inverness and then down to um, ended up spending about four days on Isle of Skye, did a bunch of hiking. Isle of Skye is just insane i mean it, it's one of the coolest places i've i've ever been um i would definitely recommend it um we went to the talisker distillery uh, that was the only distillery on sky we went to it's really just like huge mountains um you know we did a hike one day and it was like 60 something and sunny at the bottom which is actually quite warm uh you know mid to high 60s in scotland and then midway up, it was raining. Uh, three quarters of the way up, it was hailing. And at the top, it was snowing. And this was all within an hour hike. You know, we went maybe maybe a 1,000 vertical feet at most, 800 vertical feet. Um, but, yeah, we got, like, all, all four seasons in one, in one hour-long hike um, in Sky. Then we drove down and I had to go to Oban. It's again, been one of my favorite whiskeys for a long time. And we got there about 15 minutes before the tasting room was closing. We actually had to beg the girl to let us do a flight. Um, meanwhile, since it was the end of the day, they had one last tour that was congregating. And I asked the tasting room uh, manager, I said, I'm like, oh, what's up with that tour? Like, how do, how do we get on that tour? And she's like, oh, it's a private tour. It's for charity, blah, blah, blah. It's real expensive. So, like, my wife and I, we hung around. We made sure to take a little bit longer drinking our whiskey. And uh, I walked up to the guy who was conducting the tour, and I said, I just asked him. I'm like, hey, dude, like, what's up with this tour? And uh, he's like, oh, well, it's private. It's, you know. And I'm like, he's like, it's for charity. And I'm like, well, we like charities. Like, we like to donate to charity. And he's like, well, it's 100 euros a person. And I was like, okay, well, we don't like donating charities that much. And I'm like, well, I'd give you, like, 25 euros just as, like, an add-on, and we'll keep our mouths shut. And he's like, okay, cool. So we got like the VIP tour all around the, the whole distillery, um, which is only about 4,000 square feet. I mean, it's not a huge, it's not a huge distillery. It's, actually, no, I think it's, it's, it's a, quite a bit larger than that. I think what it said was you... the whole grounds were about one acre. So whatever one acre in square footage is, I think it's more like 40,000 square feet. But that's the whole property yeah, with that's the right. outside, uh, you know, uh, a grain grain area, the parking lot, the whole nine. So, but it's, it's not a big it's not a big distillery because obviously it was built in 1790 and it's never been expanded. But anyway, do you know do you know how much they produce annually? Um, I could probably look it up. I mean, it's a lot. It's a worldwide whiskey. You know, they they yeah I've been, yeah, getting, I've been ordering Oban for restaurants I've managed for 15 years. You know, I mean. It's I've never it's rare to go into a good bar and not see Oban on the shelf. So it's definitely a staple. Right. 
So I noticed that you're pronouncing it Oban, which sounds like that's probably how it's actually pronounced in Scotland. Yeah. As long as I've been bartending, everybody calls it Oban because yeah. that's how it looks like it's spelled. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, phonetically, it's you know, it's spelled O B A N, but it's pronounced in. I mean, in Scotland, it's Oban, the town of Oban. I mean, okay. I'm I'm not Scottish besides a large section of my liver. Um, but you know, <laughs> you, you there's a lot of pronunciations when you're actually at the. At when you're actually there, you know, at specific places and you realize that you've been pronouncing it wrong your whole life. So it's like when we moved to Tahoe, it was like Nevada and it's Nevada. Like it's such Nevada. a subtle difference. Or, uh, Nevada, you know? Um, yeah. Or uh, another big one I notice people do all the time is Oregon or Oregon. Yeah. Like yeah. East, Co- East Coasters love to call it Oregon, but it's Oregon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here we have Oban. Yeah. Oban, um, great tour. Patrick showed us around. He's one of the distillers. Uh, I mean, just a really top-notch, A-plus tour. We ended up in the in a, a private tasting room in, like, the basement area. And another guy came in and was discussing uh, all the malting practices and the, the fermentation. I have been, you know, dabbling with distilling, obviously, as you know, Stuart. So I actually was able to chime in a bunch and I think they kind of appreciate it because I was slightly educated about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. usually they get some people in there that they don't, you know, they don't drink whiskey. They don't know how to taste whiskey, you know? So I think we ended up going out to a pub afterwards and, and kind of shooting the shit with this guy, you know, the guy who showed us around Patrick and then another guy, I can't remember his name. He was like tight black jeans, a big, beard tattoos you know he looked like a quintessential like brooklynite um you know but he was definitely scottish um but you know again great great experience if you're ever in scotland and you can go to oban i would recommend it awesome town the food was great at the couple of places that we went to they make fucking fantastic whiskey which i'm glad i'm drinking right now um so yeah anyway um sounds like i should uh plan a moto moto tour through scotland I, you know what we should do is ride europe and that's one that i will a thousand percent go with you i've already got the green green light from the wife um uh, well nice. I, she didn't really get well, the green light we, i just said i'm gonna go and there's not much that you can say about <laughs> it you know you you married one of the coolest women i've ever met you are one lucky yeah, man she, so she's definitely um a little bit more uh easygoing and uh accepting than you know some other ladies and she would have to be in order to deal with me because obviously exactly in the exactly so um <laughs> well let's uh let's plan a trip throughout the united kingdom you know all those islands we can do england ireland scotland and wales all perfect, in one but my wife will kill me if she's not with us so i'll i'll get a motorcycle got- with a sidecar but yeah, bring her along. <laughs> this is not exclusive. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so anyway, yeah, Oban, it's delicious. I mean, uh, one to 10, I would rate this an 8.5. I mean, I don't even know if I've ever had a perfect 10. So that's how stringent these one to 10 ratings are. But I would definitely give this a, a solid 8.5. It's a, it's a really great whiskey for people that don't like like the big peat bombs like Lafroy or an Arbeg, um, you know, it's not as sweet and caramelly as like a Macallan, 
uh, it's really a great entry into something that's got some peat. Um, so A plus for the distillers and for the Stevens brothers uh, who conceptualized this mash bill and the whole nine. So kudos, cheers, and I'm going to sip this and shut my fucking mouth. <laughs> so good. All right. Now that the whiskey portion is out of the way, I mean, my glass isn't empty, but um, again, really awesome experience in Oban. Fantastic whiskey. Uh, love it. If you can go out and get a bottle. Usually it retails. I see it for anywhere as cheap as 60 and anywhere as expensive as like 85. Um, you know, so it's not breaking the bank. It's just a really good, solid 14-year you don't have the price tag of an 18-year or a 21, um, but it's definitely got uh, a lot of the same qualities that you would get out of an 18-year um, and and definitely a more mature than most of the 12 years. So hence the, the, uh, the, the 14, and they pull it at 14 because that's where they should pull it. It's pretty, pretty perfect. So anything to add on the tasting? Um, man, I, there's no way I can, uh, I can add anything to what you just said. Um, it's fucking delicious. That's it. <laughs> I that's tell you that that's much. the only thing that matters. It's fucking delicious. It, it really is. And I, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of how to approach this as a scotch. It really is lighter on the peat. So, you know, if you're warming up it's the scotch, there, you're going though, from, you know, it's still there. It's still there. It's definitely a scotch, yeah. but you know, if you're, starting to dabble you find yourself liking irish whiskey or even bourbon but you kind of want to branch out and you know try a couple different flavor profiles oban is a great way to dabble into the world of scotch agreed, agreed. all right so tasting portion over um Stu, i'm gonna ask you a very personal question here um while you were filming sure. uh the joe exotica expose down in, in <laughs> what was it kentucky or tennessee or something oklahoma, oklahoma. Um, were you ever, did you ever feel like maybe you could be one of his husbands? <laughs> so for, for those of you who don't know, if you look in the film credits of, uh, what, what's the guy, what is it called? Tiger, Tiger, Tiger King. King. You will see Stuart Philkill as one of the videographers. So Stu did not spend an exorbitant yeah. amount of time with Joe Exotica, but enough time where I'm sure he's got a quirky story or two to tell. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he he's surprisingly charming. You could probably get that idea from watching the show. Let me ask but, you a question. Um, How the fuck like, did you get even rigged into that? Like, <laughs> that is kind of a it is kind of a long story. I met the executive producer through a good friend of mine. But this was before, like, he referred this, me. this guy's been trying to become famous for, like, 20 years. You know what I mean? This was before this whole doc. You know, so I mean, this was just some crazy. Oh yeah, guy yeah. Trains tigers, right? Well, when okay, when when I was asked to to help film this project, the director called me, and at the time, they didn't actually know what the documentary was going to be. They were originally trying to do like an expose on the exotic yeah. animal trade, but they found these really crazy, fascinating people that were kind of competing with these tiger farms. You know, you had Doc Antle, Carol Baskin, and Joe Exotic. Carol Baskin. And, Killed um, her husband. Carol, 
Sorry, I've been TikToking too much lately. <laughs> oh, shout out. Uh, follow oh, Cocktail on TikTok, motherfuckers. I post some bomb-ass shit. Oh. I'll follow you. I'm going to download TikTok Perfect. just for you. Um, so, yeah, with the when I talked to the director, she was like, basically, I, I remember her saying, so we're going to Oklahoma to film on a tiger farm, and the owner of the farm is a gay polyamorous redneck. Does that interest you at all? And I was like, what? Fuck yeah, it does. I <laughs> Sign me up. That sounds like an adventure if I've ever oh heard God. one. Let's do it. <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, the experience that I had, they did a, such an amazing job with the documentary. It doesn't feel or look real, but that was the experience that I had. I contributed the most to the first episode, but the story is authentic. That's what, that's what happened. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they really did a good job of, of being true to the, the actual content and the actual people. Um, but I do have one little anecdote that I'll share that wasn't in there. Um, when, after we interviewed Joe, he had a cage, a tiger cage right outside of his house. That wasn't part of the zoo. It was like his own personal tiger. And um, we were done filming. We had just wrapped and I had a still camera with me and I was like, I wonder if I can get a picture of this tiger with, you know, put my camera through the links of the fence. So I don't have, yeah, a, so you have a cage a in the foreground. Yeah, sure. Exactly. You know, so um, the, the cage, like from the ground up to four feet, the links were pretty tight on the fence of the cage. But then above four feet, there were, there were like six inch squares. So they're kind of big, big enough to get my camera lens into. But I was like, well, Tiger's not going to get out of here. I'll be fine. So I put my camera lens up into this link. And like before it was happened so fast, before I can register what happened, the tiger walks across the cage and sticks its paw through the link and just bats me Shut across the, the face, just like up. a swat across my face. And I think I actually shat myself a little bit in that moment. Punched, like, you got it just took me punched in the face by one of Joe Exotica's tigers. That is amazing. Yeah. And it felt like being punched. And the first thing, the first thing I thought was like, oh my God, I just got clawed. Like, I didn't feel because it, you but were, what, you know, you, you didn't it notice swatted it you were me. looking through like the viewfinder. Yeah, because I was looking through the lens. It like, and it, it, again, it was just so fast. It was so fast that I didn't even it didn't oh even register God. what was happening until I felt myself getting punched, and that's what it felt. It felt more or less like being open handed punched. But the tiger spared me the claws. Somehow I didn't catch any claws. I just got like batted in the face and like backed up. And it was like, oh my god. Okay, that's good. I think I think I'm done. I'm done here. I, I, I'm you gonna. You just got I'm bitch slapped by a tiger because he didn't want no paparazzi around. Oh my Pretty God. much, yeah. He's like that is fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was one of the more interesting projects I've ever filmed. And then you know, at the time, I had no idea what it was going to be. And it was up until it was up until January of this year. I you know I thought maybe this project wasn't ever going to become yeah. anything. And then the director sends me an email, and she and I had to essentially sign a release form. And I was like, oh, cool. So. Maybe this will actually happen. And then, like week one of quarantine, somebody, uh, um, somebody that knew I worked on the project sent me a picture of a billboard of the Tiger King. It was like, wait, was this? Did you do this? And I was like, oh shit. shit! And then it launched. It launched, and then everybody starts like, you know, there's memes, and everybody starts referencing oh, the show. Shit that I had fucking heard about. 
Right. And this is all shit that I knew about from years ago. And now it's just being brought up and it's like everywhere in pop culture, just ubiquitous. It was so, it was just an yeah, absolute trip. When you have 300 million people um, in lockdown and then you put some crazy shit on TV like that. Oh yeah. It's going to fucking go viral. Talk about a captive audience, man. Perfect it's timing. crazy. But, uh, I'm currently I've, I've been bugging the uh, executive producer the last couple of days like to try to get me to work on season two. I think they're going to do another one. So Jesus. I've been uh, I've, I've been trying to annoy him until he hires me again. Well, hopefully that after he hears this podcast, he'll hire you for the great references that you're 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 giving him, you know. Damn right. right. Interesting. Very interesting. So. Um, t- why don't you tell us just a little bit about your company and what you do, and you can give us a little sales pitch that if there's anybody out there that's looking for some uh, videography, any photography, any, you know, just here, here, here you are, sell the 80,000 people that are listening. Well, you know, look no farther than the Tiger King for exactly. samples of my work, but I'm a, f- I'm a, f- I'm a freelance photographer and cinematographer and I find myself in crazy situations sometimes and I seem to have a high tolerance for them. They're very exciting and seek them out. uh, (laughs) Almost. Yeah. It's almost as if I really, I've just got a unquenchable thirst for adventure. Awesome. Um, All right. We're at 45 minutes now. Um, I'm sure our listening audience is either drunk, high or on DMT right now. So hopefully all three for their sake, this app cuts us off at an hour anyway. So why don't we end it with a story about your next motorcycle adventure when you did ride North and then your next one, you and Sebastian decided to do ride earth and ride to fucking Patagonia from San Francisco. And I know you had a little trouble along the way. So, well, it's it's a long way. I can't fit it into a short story. But um, after Sebastian and I did ride north, uh, a year later, we packed up our bikes again and rode to Costa Rica. So we went all the way through Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica. And um, I mean, there's there's too many stories just in there to tell. But uh, we we made it. Obviously, we survived. I ended up selling my motorcycle in Costa Rica. And then um, a couple of years later, we continued on south to Colombia. We um, we were going to try to go from Costa Rica t- to Panama to Colombia, but um, there's no road connecting the two. So we we were going to try to overcome that challenge by putting our bikes on a sailboat to sail past the that gap. It's called the Darien Gap. But uh, we ended up yeah we ended up shipping motorcycles to Columbia, and uh, I'll I'll polish it off with this story because this is one of my favorites. We we started off in Bogota, and we decided that we wanted to continue the theme of reaching the northernmost point of of uh, the continent that we were riding on. So we went to the northernmost point of South America, and it's this point called um, uh, Punto Punto de Gallinas, I believe it is. Which is uh, chicken it point? It sounds like you're calling <laughs> what it me like some into. foul language. Yeah, well, just imagine that I am. Just imagine the filthiest thing possible. That's what I'm saying. Um, but this this was this was interesting because it was also quite desolate. 
there's really nothing up there. It's a desert. And the, the border of Venezuela is we, we've basically paralleled the border for like the last 150 miles. And uh, we made it to the northernmost point of South America as well. And um, it was it, not only was it desolate, but it was super interesting because there was these these uh, almost like a clash of cultures of people trying to escape Venezuela. This is about a year yeah, ago, yeah. so not too long ago. And and um, also just this very surreal kind of desert, some of the largest mangrove forests in the world. Uh, we spent a couple of days up there and um, um, we uh, we we made it out. We survived. You should check my Instagram for for more All pictures right, so and more stories. Shout out to your Insta. But... What, give us your socials here. You're not your social security number. Uh, your social media stuff here. I know you're you're just about to sign up on TikTok, so yeah, you can check out at Ride Earth for a, a whole collection of our photos. Sebastian's Instagram is at SDW, and mine is at Stu Philkill. And how about uh, any Twitters, Twatters, any uh, um, what's the other one? Snapple chats. Any Snapples, Snapple chats, <laughs> any Facebook pages? Uh, Instagram. There's a Facebook page for Ride Earth, but uh, all the good photos are on Instagram. That's where you want to be for the And for if the somebody wanted to ask you some questions or ask you out on a date, uh, what would a good email address be? Um, you can find me on Instagram or my email address is swphilkill at gmail.com. Just don't send me any spam. And no dick pics, people. I know that's what you've been thinking. I, tr I tried to send <laughs> Stu a dick pic on his Gmail and it went right to his spam folder because they knew that it was, I would, you know, it was just, it was not good at all. You know, the, the other dick pics get through. Yours, for some reason, Because they spam. knew it was like I put it on my my scanner and enlarged it like 14 times. They knew, they knew it was know, you. So yeah. they were like, no, fuck this guy. He, uh, you know, it ain't worth it. So. All right. Well, any, any parting words here? Um, our listeners are probably either all dead now or asleep. Um, but we want to thank them all for listening, all 14,000 of you, 80,000 of you. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, some parting uh, words of wisdom from Stuart Philkill. Uh, thanks for having me. Go make your own adventure. And uh, I'd yes. love to do this again sometime. Go make your own adventures. Don't let anything stand in your way. All right. And, you know, uh, rate me five stars here for this podcast because I know we're 10 times better than Joe Rogan. So peace, love, happiness, drink some fucking Oban and go ride motorcycles to crazy places and do crazy shit. Cause we only get one of these fucking lives. So we may as well make it the best that we motherfucking can. All right. Much love, Stuart. Peace out. <laughs>